Welcome everyone to the It Matters to Me podcast. I'm your host, Adam Casey, and today my guest is Michelle Jeske, City Librarian for the Denver Public Library Systems. If you're like me and you thought libraries were just places for introverts and bookish people, well, you couldn't be more wrong. Did you know that some libraries offer small business mentorship or connect people to their family's history through genealogical records? I didn't. In our talk, We get into how Michelle evolved from a young bookworm into someone who is at the head of all 26 library locations here in Denver that sees more than 4.4 million annual visitors. We also discuss some of the ways libraries in Denver are pivoting with an ever-increasing digital age, from offering programs that teach people how to write computer code, to hosting makerspaces with digital recording studios that people can use to start their own podcast. Like everything else in life, Some of the challenges public libraries face today comes down to funding. Michelle explains all the ways you can help out your local library and take advantage of some of the many, many benefits your local library probably offers. At the end of the day, this is just a great conversation with someone who couldn't have been more fun to have on the show. And if there's anything you take away from this, it's how important your support is for your local library. So do me a favor and go check out a few books from your local branch wherever you are. All right, then, let's get to it. Here's my talk with Michelle Jeske. All right, Michelle, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well today. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. It's Friday. I'm all about the Friday vibes. Um, You know, I was hoping uh, that I would actually be able to record this from I think it's the Woodrow uh, branch. One of the branches has the, an actual podcasting studio in there. Oh, it's the Gonzalez Branch Library. Mm, yeah, and I, I, I admittedly, um, I knew about it, and I know you have to make a reservation, and unfortunately, I forgot to make a reservation. <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, but uh, I know it's out there, and I hope to use it one day. Um, but thank you for uh, coming on the show. Um, one way I like to start the show is by getting a little bit more of a personal feel for each guest uh, before we get into the whole you know, reason that they're on the show. And the way that I like to do that is with a very simple but fun question of, if I knew you growing up, and let's say I had the opportunity to maybe embarrass you in front of all of our friends at this uh, giant dinner, um, honoring you in some way, what kinds of stories would I tell about you? I don't know if I could think of any actual stories, but um, I can tell you a little bit about what I was like as a kid. I moved a lot. Um, and so I think for that reason, I'm people would say I was a pretty independent kid. I was definitely a latchkey kid. Um, so, and the oldest, oldest child um, left um, to kind of handle my younger brother a lot. Um, I was definitely a reader loved going to the library, mostly the bookmobile. Um, and I guess I was probably, people would probably say I was a bit of a tomboy, um, outside a lot, uh, very active, um, quiet though. Um, maybe not shy, but, um, yeah, quiet reader, tomboy, reading under the covers, you know, well past my bedtime with the flashlight, 
would probably be one of those stories, at least my mom would say. And what kinds of what kinds of stories did you read growing up? Oh my gosh, I don't think there was anything I wasn't interested in, but uh, definitely the, like Ramona the Past, um, Amelia Bedelia, kind of. Well, actually, like so, those are two characters that would probably be pretty similar to 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 me. Um, so I guess I saw myself in in those characters characters. And. I guess, you know, growing up, how did you kind of maintain, because uh, obviously, you know, you're, you're the city librarian of the Denver Public Libraries. Um, you obviously maintained that uh, passion for books. Uh, how did you maintain that growing up? Was it, you know, did it ever, did you ever fluctuate in and out of your childhood of like going through years where you didn't read at all? Or have you, you just maintained a straight and steady path of always being a reader? I think I was a reader from the beginning, uh, maybe during college and high school. I probably didn't read, do as much pleasure reading if I think about it. But before that, it just was a fun passion for me. And I think, and there's research that, that shows this now that I'm a, an adult, that kids tend to like reading if they see other adults in their life reading if their parents have books at home. And so my mom is a reader. She still is. And I'm, I'm reflecting back that that's probably a part of it. And the fact that she would take me to the library so that I could pick out my own books and use my own card, I think was uh, very helpful to my reading journey. Yeah, no, it's, that's interesting. Cause it's, um, you know, for me, I always, I have this uh, really strong memory of uh, my my parents really instilled in me volunteering, and somewhat similar. My parents, my mom would always take me to, to a, uh, a senior living home where I grew up, and would just drop me off on Saturdays. <laughs> and so I was kind of forced to uh, to volunteer. So I was voluntold, um, but it always made an impression on me when she would also join us. And uh, yeah, I think that that carries over to so many things. Um, being able to have that good role model when it comes to, you know, especially something that's as as positive of of an influence as reading. Um, Yeah. You know, the other thing is that, you know, some parents will say they have reluctant readers. And I think there's a, a couple of reasons that can happen. I mean, some people just naturally struggle with reading, you know, they might have, um, inherent reading challenges, but I think um, often it, it has to do with the reading content that the kid has not found an interesting topic. And so it, I think that's a role that public libraries help play is to try to connect those re- reluctant readers with books that actually are about things that they care about. Um, because often in school, you're being told what to read, um, right? And so then they can sometimes associate books with with boring or or hard or hard situations where oh I have to learn this tough stuff so I think that's it's really important to find whether you're an adult or a child to find books that are appealing to you and there's no right or wrong it's it's what's good for you and so you eventually you know on uh you eventually became, like I said, city librarian of Denver Public Library. And I only, until recently, until getting ready for this uh, interview, didn't realize that to become a librarian, you have to have your master's, I think, in is it li- library, literary science? 
It's um, library and or information science. Wait, this the I you know I think a lot of people have this misconception about what uh, it takes to be a librarian, and li librarians are some of my favorite people. Um, but yeah, just the I guess the schooling and education that you have to go through uh, to become a librarian is really uh, yeah it was a huge surprise to me. So I guess. At what point did you decide that you were going to translate your love for reading into being a librarian? Well, not until I was already in a, a graduate program for a different topic. <laughs> so while I loved reading and I loved libraries, it never occurred to me to be a librarian, um, even after I had graduated from from college. I fell into the academic program because I was in a program that I didn't really care for. And I, in Washington state and was paying out of state tuition and realized, Oh, well, I need to do something besides this program. And, and ironically, um, it was a master's in public administration which is now what I do, essentially. I'm, I'm less of a librarian at this point in my career and much more of a public administrator running a, a very large government agency. So, but I'll tell you how, kind of the short version of how I got there. I didn't like that other program. This was before the internet. Um, so we had to uh, rely on paper course catalogs. And it was the University of Washington. It was a giant school. So the course catalog was quite large. So I was flipping through it. And this was the Master's of Library Science program was really the only thing in that entire catalog that sounded appealing to me. But like you, I had no idea. I had no idea that you needed to get a master's. Um, but it looked really interesting. And so I immediately transferred into that program. And realized really quickly that I thought this would be very interesting. I had spent a ton of time in my undergrad years in the college library because I'd written a thesis. So like looking at the courses in that catalog and then thinking back to my experience as an adult in the college library, I was like, oh, huh, this might be something kind of interesting. And, you know, that, that's how it started. The idea of being a librarian uh, is probably up there in one of my top three like dream jobs to have simply for the ability to be in a room with a be in a room full of books with complete quiet and just read all day um hopefully with a good cup of coffee to keep me going um what what was your first i guess stint as a librarian i think was it in uh new york city or it was it uh I, it was. It was in New York City. I was so lucky. I didn't have any intention of moving to New York from Seattle, but New York Public Library came recruiting to campus. And I thought, well, I'll just do an interview just for practice. And then I got offered a job and my husband and I decided to, to make a big move. And at that time, New York Public Library didn't, um, you didn't apply for a job at a particular location. So I moved from Seattle to New York City without having any idea where I would be working in this huge city. Um, but I really lucked out. I ended up being a reference librarian at the um, Jefferson Market Branch Library in Greenwich Village. I mean, it, it was just a phenomenal experience. Um, 
and I got to work with a senior reference librarian who knew a lot. And as I mentioned, this is all before, actually at this time, the internet was kind of starting to get going. Um, but we relied a lot more on, on reference books and things like that. I learned so much there. Um, my grad school was awesome, but I learned what it actually meant to be a librarian by, by that experience, working with the public and what that was like. And, and what does it mean to be a librarian? Um, you know, I don't want to make a ill-fated joke about cardigan sweaters and shushing people. Um, but when it comes to... <laughs> Uh, you know, when it, when it comes to being a librarian though, yeah, what, what are the, there were some of the responsibilities, uh, of a librarian and then also, you know, what are your responsibilities now as pretty much the head honcho here in Denver? Yeah. Two, two totally different sets of responsibilities. So, and I, and I'll talk about, um, what librarians do now versus what I did back in, in the nineties, um, Although they're at the core, it's similar um, or even the same. It's really about connecting people to information and experiences and even to to other people is, I guess, the basic way to say it. And there are so many different kinds of librarians. Just within our library, our public library, we have librarians who specialize in working with children. And, you know, they're doing story times or they might be working on um, workshops to help parents and caregivers understand brain development and how important talking and reading and playing is for your little ones. Um, they might be planning programs um, that the whole family could engage in. They're definitely recommending books and talking to people about what their interests are and and linking them that way. Um, we have, because we're a large urban library and we have the central library, we have librarians who specialize in genealogy and they're helping connect people to the information about their family's history. We have librarians who specialize in helping entrepreneurs and people who want to be small business owners. So they have a lot more knowledge about the, the vast array of electronic resources we have that can help people find the financial information to be able to put together uh, an application for a loan or the information to help them decide what neighborhood to put the business in that they want to create. We have librarians who love to read and love connecting people to new books and new authors and things like that and a whole bunch of other things. So it really runs the gamut. I think if you're at a branch library or if you had a smaller library system than ours, you are kind of a Jack or Jill of all trades and you're, you know, you can't necessarily specialize in the way that some of our librarians do. Um, but we, we know how to find information and we also like to kind of help people find information themselves. So that's sort of a teaching people to fish um, story. My job is to keep the, the whole organization going. So the library has 26 locations. We have almost a $50 million budget. Um, in good times, we have over 600 staff members. So it's a it's a decent size organization to run. I have multiple directors who are over different divisions 
who report to me. So there's a finance and facilities group and there's an HR group and there's a communications and community engagement group. And there's somebody who's over all of the branches. So I'm not, um, you know, in the, in the weeds really of the, the daily activities. I'm helping set strategy and direction for the library. And honestly, a huge part of my job is advocating for the library, making sure that people in the community and in the city understand what we do, why it's important, why we need support to do that. And, and what, like what we're doing here today, um, taking opportunities to help people know what the modern public library does um, and what we offer, because we don't have a huge marketing budget. And so people's experiences of us are often, or their, their remembrances of us are often from their youth. And the library has changed so much and we do so much more um, that it's really important for me to be out in the community talking to people about, about what that is. Um, so that's kind of high level what, what my job is all about. What do you think a public library brings to the community? And what, and maybe a better way to ask that question is, what do you think is lacking from a community that doesn't have a public library? I think I think that a community that doesn't have a public library is lacking a an egalitarian, open community center. I mean, think about it. Where else can anybody anybody go? You could go to a church. You would be welcome, but you might not feel comfortable there if that's not your your religious choice. Most rec centers for most people cost money. A park. I think a park is similar, but it's obviously more open and doesn't necessarily have some of the structure. So I think that's the large answer to your question. Um, you know, some of the work that we do is so critical to, to people's lifelines even. So a public library provides digital access to people who don't, who don't have it. Um, nobody else does that for free. Um, and they certainly don't do it in a way that provides the the staff support that goes with that. So we certainly saw during the pandemic that that was an increasing need and it still is. Even before the pandemic, there was a really um, sharp digital divide, even here in Denver. Um, People who can't afford broadband or um, good enough broadband to work from home or study from home or don't have, you know, the kind of computer equipment to be able to apply for jobs online and things like that. So that's, that's one example of the kind of thing that we bring. There's a lot of research that shows that libraries and librarians, that profession specifically, are some of the most trusted institutions and professions in our country. And so that allows us to help people in ways that I think other organizations, especially government organizations, can sometimes struggle with. I bring that up because one of the things that we do is um, provide services specifically for immigrants and refugees, as an example. It's interesting to me. I had no idea. Uh, and again, I think that's a phrase I'm going to be saying a lot during this interview. I had no idea that the library offered services, especially maybe just the ones here in Denver, but you know, something like genealogy um, or 
you know, I think I knew, I knew about, you know, resume writing tips and things like that. But as far as, you know, changing with the times, basically, it sounds like that's what you're competing with is, uh, is make, is keeping a library relevant when we all, or most people even, you know, might have a smartphone in their pocket that has access to the internet. Um, what, I guess, what other kinds of ways do you, is, is DPL um, trying to stay relevant and encourage, I guess, um, maybe not membership, but just uh, participation in the community? Yeah, so we, um, our numbers before COVID were, were increasing. So we had over 4 million visitors a year at our 26 locations and over 9 million checkouts. So, you know, people are continuing to use the library. Um, and, you know, one of the ways that libraries across the country have, have changed, in, but it still fits within the mission, is that we can deliver information and experiences in new ways, like lots of organizations. So um, some of that is online, because to your point, lots, lots of us, not all of us, but lots of us have smartphones. Um, so we have eBooks and we have audio eBooks and we have streaming video and we have digital magazines. So people can, and it's just so convenient because you can never even have to go to the library. I mean, you are going to the library cause you're going to our virtual experience, but you can do it at any time of day or night. It's, it's pretty awesome. And so use of that has just skyrocketed, especially during the pandemic. People that preferred to use traditional materials were cut off when when we were in the shutdown and so it was kind of nice that people were able to see that there was a whole other option out there the other thing that that we do now that we always did to some extent but it's grown a ton is is programming so whether that's technology training everything from how to use a mouse to how to do pretty advanced coding to very specific genealogy programs. You know, if you're, um, there's one um, for Latinos and there's one for, for black um, families and there's one for Northern European families, things like that. So very specific. Um, and then we have an older adult um, series where it's about creative aging. So we'll bring in professional artists and do a program for older adults um, to explore things that they probably never had the opportunity to explore before because they were busy working and now they have more time. Um, there's a lot of social isolation when you become an older adult. So um, those programs perform, you know, a whole set of, um, I don't know, they, they offered different experiences for people um, for different reasons. We have um, programs for kids when they're not in school. So some of our um, branches have five-day-a-week programs on, you know, with arts and crafts and science and math and engineering and technology um, so that kids who maybe don't have um, the financial means to get into enrichment experiences still have that opportunity. There's um, evidence around the kids that participate in high quality after school programs 
um, having higher attendance in school, which higher attendance leads to, to better grades and better outcomes. So, you know, before learning came from books, it still comes from books, but there's just so many other ways that it can come from. And you mentioned the, the recording studio. Um, we actually have um, several of them and they're in maker spaces that we have. So those are spaces where um, people can use our equipment. It could be a loom. It could be recording equipment. It could be a 3D printer. It could be a laser cutter. It could be, um, you know, some sort of etching uh, equipment. Um, and then we have staff there who may not know every single thing about how to use that stuff, but they know how to figure it out and they know enough to be able to help people figure out how to accomplish what it is that they want to do. So, I mean, those are just a few examples of, of the, the ways that our library anyway has pivoted to meet the community needs. And have you seen a positive response in doing that? Um, oh, absolutely. We opened our newest idea lab or makerspace in, in the Central Park neighborhood at our Sam Gary branch during COVID. And it's so it's open now. And apparently it is busting at the seams um, with families in there. You know, people have been craving new things to do after being kind of hunkered down at home for 18 months. And do you have any idea, like, do you have, has, do you know of any of the projects that people are doing that maybe stand out as like really interesting or really just unique? Uh, we've had people record podcasts. We have a city council person who before COVID was using our spaces to do that. We've had people cut albums in our spaces. We've had, um, People create prototypes with our 3D software and our 3D printers, um, and people have created logos that they've used for their businesses, and one guy did that, and then he used the embroidery machine that we have at one of the branches to actually embroider the logo on some fabric. So, I mean, it just kind of runs the gamut. A lot of it, I think, is just people tinkering, which there's a lot of value in that um anyway but it's it's a way to bring people together um and give them some joy and fun um as they're learning to do things you know are there ever any like sponsored events put on by the library to again like encourage participation um you know because one thing that's that's striking me right now is you know i i, I want to ask like how come nobody knows about these things? Or maybe not nobody. How come these things aren't that well known? Um, you know, the idea of a makerspace, uh, you know, you, I, have no, I, I have no idea what I would 3D print, but I want to 3D print something. <laughs> and it would be, um, and it would be cool, you know, to be able just to go somewhere and learn about that um, just for fun. Um, but yeah, but why, why is it that you think that maybe some of these programs aren't that well-known? Um, maybe not just here in Denver, but because I'm assuming that a lot of libraries across the country have these things. Yeah, no, I think it's so true. There, there have been studies about the brand of the public library and the brand remains book. And so we struggle, I think, especially with the lack of marketing of the funds to really get the word out about 
what the brand is now. I think the brand really is about connection and empowerment now um, as much as it is about the book. Um, so we do work at it. Like taking this opportunity is, is definitely a piece of that. Um, there was a story in the Denver Post this week about um, our new ability to offer um, people to use the Denver Tool Library. I don't know if you're familiar with that library, but through your library card, you can check out one week of access to the Denver Tool Library. So, you know, sometimes the media will pick up on good news too and help get the word out. Um, but that's not the only thing you can. So now I'm veering off because I think I failed to tell you Please the other cool way. <laughs> your library card will give you access to. Um, so that's the newest thing. But um, your library card can give you access to um, almost all the cultural in town. It will get you into the Museum of Nature and Science. You have to check it out. There is a waiting list. I'm not just going to say, you don't just take your library card to the zoo and say, let me in. But you can check out a pass because we have a, you know, a limited number of them to the zoo, the Denver Museum of Nature and Science, History Colorado, a whole slew of, of those experiences. You can check out uh, Chromebooks and Wi-Fi hotspots so that if you don't have internet access or a computer at home, you can take advantage of that. Um, you can check out a state parks pass so that you can go to any state park in Colorado with your library card. So those are just a few of the things that, that we let you take home <laughs> besides books and, and DVDs. Yeah, the, uh, the state park pass is something I very much used uh, when I was oh. up in Boulder. Um, down here, you know, it sounds like with all of these, it just takes a lot of planning um, to be able to use the benefits of the library card beyond the books. But the benefit of up, at least up in Boulder was it was it felt like this like little known secret that I could check out a state park pass for the weekend and go, you know, just go to the state parks and everything. Um, yeah, I think that is, that is one of the one of the many, many benefits. I'm definitely a card-carrying member of the, <laughs> the Denver Public Library, but I had no idea about the museums or, um, you know, the tool library. I'm, I'm a member of the tool library, uh, like an annual membership, but I had no idea that, yeah, you could get the one-week pass for with the library card. Um, yeah, that's fresh. That's totally fresh, like hot off the press. Hot off the press. We got the inside it's scoop. Not too far off on that one. <laughs> Well, what other, I guess, um, maybe initiatives are out there that may, that are on the horizon that you're hoping, um, yeah, over the next year or so that, yeah, like, let's say you, I gave you the magic wand and you could use your library card for whatever, what kinds of things would you establish with that? Mm -hmm. I might take that a slightly different direction just because I think it's important to name how, um, how tough the situation is right now. I just want to be honest. We're very short staffed. Um, we lost a lot of revenue um, because of COVID. So we're, you know, a city agency. And so all city agencies took budget cuts mid-year last year and then again for this year. And so I, while I would love to expand service, we're at a place now where our, our hours are diminished. I don't know if you've noticed, but um, we're only open five days a week at branches and we're only open 20 hours a week right now at the central library. 
So my goal for the, for the next year is to get ourselves back on our feet as much as possible so that our hours, um, open the door to folks who, who do really need us. Um, and we are actually working on a sustainable funding effort to kind of figure out what other options might be out there in terms of funding. Um, we're also, um, and this is more, much more positive, you know, we have the ability to renovate a bunch of our branches and the central library. So we're very focused on that right now. Um, the, first floor of the central library is open um, while we're in renovation, but in the next year, we will have a brand new children's library at the central library. And it's going to be uh, amazing. It's going to be really beautiful, um, a much more magical space for families to come down and explore things together. Um, so very, very excited about that. And then we're just about to get into design for renovating four other branch libraries across town. So when those, it's, it, it it's just makes a huge difference when you have spaces that are um, more functional, more inviting. Oh, and I should mention too, we're opening our 27th new library um, in a month. On September 24th, there will be a new library in the River North neighborhood in a brand new park and we're doing it in partnership with um, other organizations. It's going to be groundbreaking. It's really um, a lot of focus around art and creativity because we're working with the Rhino Arts District. Um, we'll be there with Redline, which is a contemporary um, um, nonprofit that works with, with burgeoning artists. So they'll have their second campus there um, where there will be um, artist studios and that's in the building where we are. And then on the same campus will be um, focus points. Um, they run Kamal. I don't know if you've ever heard of that program, but they help immigrant and refugee women get entrepreneurial and um, like catering and cooking skills. And so they're going to have their second outpost there. And there will be a, a wonderful cafe. Um, and it's right, as I said, in a brand new park off the river. So it's it's going to be really neat because the idea is for all of these organizations to work together to co-program around creative opportunities for, for people of all ages. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. You know. Yeah. And there will be there will be a couple um studios there as well, as well as a, a meeting space, because there's no kind of public meeting space in that neighborhood. You have to buy a cup of coffee or a beer to go, you know, anywhere there. So the library and the the park are really the only public assets in that whole that whole neighborhood with this new branch and it sounds like the blend of the uh, of other businesses you know really ties into what i think is what the public library brings into a community is the that conduit basically of you know blending all of these different resources for people to use and i think you know one question that kind of came to mind when you were describing all you know the maybe the theme of it is that it, you know with the 26 current locations of the library is there any, you know, purpose behind, you know, placing a, you know, a library in one neighborhood and maybe making that the one that has 
um, like the podcasting studio or something? Like, is there, um, what I'm trying to get at is there, do you basically customize or cust- libraries customize to the areas that they serve in some way? Yes, but with the ability to flex, and that's what we're really working toward because I'm sure you know our neighborhoods have changed so much. So we need facilities that allow us to flex as the community needs change. But absolutely, that is our goal. And so what you will see at this new library that hasn't been named yet, um, it is in this art park, so we're calling it that for the time being, um, is going to have a much different flavor and a much different set of services. There will still be books. There won't be as many. But you have access to the entire system. So people will be able to call in the materials from other places if it's not right there on the shelf. This is a very open, flexible floor plan so that we can do the kind of creative programming we want to do. So it's very customized to that neighborhood. We, um, Where we've chosen to put our idea labs um, is predicated on wanting to have them geographically distributed because we can't. Put, we can't afford to put them in all 26 locations. And honestly, so many of our libraries are too small to carve out enough space to do something like that. But then we're also looking at equity. We're really trying to put services where people need them the most. So that's a factor as well, in addition to looking at the geographic distribution. Um, and then probably more importantly than just how we create the space, we really look at putting the programs that we do in the places that make the most sense. So if we have a community that has a higher percentage of older adults, we're more likely to be doing some of those programs there. We The immigrant and refugee programs I talked about before are done at the 10 locations where we see the highest percentage of those populations. So it's definitely not a one size fits all set of services. Maybe on a more um, macro scale, how does the Denver public library system compare to those in other states? So we are um, we consider our peers um, like Seattle and um, Washington D.C. So we look at population. And then we look at the number of locations um, and then the fact you need to have a central library to sort of be in our, our peer set. Um, but we're always also looking at our neighboring libraries. You probably know that you can get a library card in any library in Colorado, which is a fairly unique thing. Um, and so people do compare us to some of our suburban libraries that have better funding. And so they have longer hours and they might have, um, shorter waiting lists um, for popular books. I think, you know, we have a stellar system. I think the city has, you know, supported us really well. The community obviously loves the Denver Public Library. Um, So libraries are all about sharing. I mean, people who come into our organization who are not from our profession are often surprised about how much information and other things that libraries will share. And it's like, well, that's that's our DNA. That's what we do is share. <laughs> so we're going to share with you too. Um, so I think there's a lot of um, borrowing of ideas and, and um, 
learning from from what other libraries are doing too. But I think you can rest assured that Denver Book Library is is a good library. I think other libraries would say that, um, especially given the resources that we have. Oh, hands down. Um, and I'm not just saying that because I, you know, I've done uh, done a lot more road tripping over the past year or so, um, and you know, working remotely, I tether from my phone sometimes, but for the most part, like I need a steady internet access as if I'm driving around. And one thing that I've come to rely on is actually public libraries around the country. And, you know, I haven't sampled every state that's out there, but I've been to enough to say like, I have a good comparison of Denver, of at least the ones in the Denver area um, to some outside states. And it really is uh, incredible just the amount of features and just the abundance of you know information and just like space that is you that is accessible um you know as as with at, at least within the city of Denver but in kind of in Colorado in general and so that's why I think it's it really is so important that the public libraries never go away that they always main maintain some sort of um i guess foundation in the community Along that thread, what kinds of, how can people support their public libraries? I think there are two key ways, well, three key ways. Use the library. Use the library. Go ask somebody at the library what you might not know about. They'll tell you. I think the second is to let your government officials know, let the mayor's office know. Let your city council person know that the library is important to you. We get almost all of our money through the city's general fund. And so people need to speak up and and let people who have power over money know that the library should be funded. And then the third way is we are so lucky. We have um, the Denver Public Library Friends Foundation. That is a 501c3 nonprofit organization um, that helps advocate for the library and fundraise for the library. Um, they help us. A lot of the programs that I talked to you about today are privately funded. The, a lot of the work we do with little kids and their parents and caregivers, almost all of the work we do with older adults, the work that we do with immigrants and refugees, we get private support for that. And that money flows through the Friends Foundation. Um, they're also helping us raise money to. Um, do some additional renovation work at the Central Library. So their work is really critical and people can donate to them. They can become a member and there are perks that I can't remember what they are, but there are perks <laughs> to becoming a member of the of the Friends Foundation. In addition to um, just the goodwill that you'll have for um, supporting such a great organization. The other thing the Friends Foundation does and a way people can support, but it's a little challenging right now, is to uh, buy our used books. They they sell um, books that people donate, and then they sell books that we um, sometimes need to to move on so that we can make space on our shelves for new books. And so that's a source of revenue that that comes through them and then comes back to us so that we can continue to buy new books. They do all of that work out of the central library normally, and it's not possible right now. So they're doing some pop-up book sales. They also have an Amazon store. It's called the Red Chair Bookshop. So people could look that up on Amazon and buy books to gift or to read themselves um, through them. And that all supports us. 
just hearing the word Amazon in this conversation uh, makes me, you know, want to ask if, you know, is Amazon, do you see Amazon as an ally in, you know, in boosting public library participation or is Amazon and just like probably the myriad other, you know, resources that people have out there online um, a challenge that you're trying to contend with? You know, they're definitely healthy competition. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're those are all great resources for people. Um, we have some advantages, like it doesn't cost anything other than your taxpayer money, which is real. I'm not going to say it's free, mm-hmm. right? But you've already paid for it. So in a, in a sense, people should be taking advantage of their public library. Um, and then we have that people-centered approach that I think you, that you don't see with those. I will say that when people see something on Amazon or they um, hear about something on the radio, that often triggers them to want to come to the library or come to our digital resources and get it from us. So I don't think it's all bad by any means. I think that people discover things at the library. We know that to be true. And then go buy things, which is good for publishers and authors. I do that all the time with cookbooks. I'm not going to go buy a cookbook until I've tried it. And I know a lot of other people are the same way. Or I might check out a book at the library and read it and think, my best friend needs to read this. Her birthday's coming up and then I go buy it. But I think it works the other way too. I can walk into the tattered cover and or see something on Amazon and um, and think, oh, I need to check that out. And I'm on my phone. And by the time I'm back to the car, you know, it's on my wait list. Oh, I am uh, hearing you uh, talk about the ways people can support by checking things out um, makes me feel better for all the times that I go to the library and I get antsy and I maybe walk away with like five different books. That I know <laughs> I'm not going to read in the, the three weeks that I have them, but just knowing that I, hey, if I want to sample a little bit of uh, history or a little bit of fiction or something, I can go ahead and do that. And I actually do that with the Amazon uh, thread. I'll, you know, I have, I have an Amazon account and I, if I hear about a book, I actually have a, uh, I guess, a collection or a list on Amazon of books that I want to read, but it's titled books to check out from the library. <laughs> so I use Amazon basically as this like a laundry list of books to go to the library for. Um, so yeah, so that makes sense. You know, it's a healthy competition uh, and I'm glad to hear it that way. Be, uh, but, you know, we're, we're, we're so quickly coming up um, on, on our time and, uh, before you know, before we wrap things up, you know, one I, w- I really want to end this conversation on a really fun and positive note. Um, not that this hasn't been a positive conversation, but you know, I always like to try and leave the listener with a little bit of, um, I guess, ear candy. Um, and so, you know, w- one way, one question that I, I want to leave with is, you know, you're you're the head of the Denver Public Library. If you do you ever just go into the library after hours just to have it to yourself and maybe pick out a book and go sit in a room with a flashlight, just like a little kid and just read for the hell of it? I have never done that, (laughs) but I can tell you two, I'll tell you about two things that happen at night that might surprise people. So, and this is pre COVID, but it'll happen again. 
Um, every year, the Friends Foundation puts on the Book Lovers Ball. It's at the Central Library. There's a cocktail hour in the middle of Schlesman Hall. We eat dinner on the second and third floor in the stacks. And then we go back downstairs and there's a big old dance party and in the children's library and in the room with the the DVDs. So uh, that's a pretty special experience. It does cost money because it's to benefit the library. So that's one thing. But something that is free and that was so fun when we were doing it is kids were allowed to, kids would bring in their stuffies, their stuffed animals and whatnot. And they would have, the the, the stuffies would have a, a sleepover at the library. So the staff would take the stuffed animals and give them different experiences like the kids might've had during the day. And like one time they got to come meet the city librarian and then they would take pictures of all this so that the kids, when they came back the next day to get the stuffies, would be able to see what happened overnight at the library. <laughs> so it's not me, but fun <laughs> things happen overnight at the library. You know, it. Uh, I wanted in some way to tie in night at the museum or something. And, you know, I was really, you know, but that's that's awesome. I think, you know, uh, that's open to adults, right? <laughs> <I can know. laughs> Should be. I feel like maybe we should extend this to all ages. <laughs> yeah, you know, I would love to have a sleepover at the at the library at some point. Um, well, Michelle, you have been absolutely gracious with your time and a, and a wonderful guest, and I've just so enjoyed this conversation. And I just want to say thank you again for coming on the show. Thank you for the opportunity. I really had fun. All right, that's a wrap for this episode of the It Matters to Me podcast with my guest, Michelle Jeske, City Librarian for the Denver Public Library System. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to DPL's websites and social media pages and anything else that we talked about during the show. And remember, help support your local library by checking out a book or two this weekend. They really are an important part of all of our communities. Also, if you have a minute and you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a review and sharing this show with a friend. And if there's someone you think I should have on the show, please let me know by writing an email to adam at itmatterstomepodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Until the next one, this is Adam Casey, signing off.